Good morning and welcome to episode 60 of the Quickie Podcast, everybody. You know, you're going to have a great day today. I feel it. You're going to have a great day. Just wanted to let you know. Our guest today is Claire Tashiro. She is a full stack designer and owner of Wolf and Pine Creative. Claire fell in love with design in school and specifically UI and UX experiences. Not surprising because her dad owned a software company, so a little connection there. We talk about how when she first started noticing design out in the world of luxury packaging when she got to dabble in a little luxury shopping. Um, We talk about how it's challenging as a freelancer to put a value to to your work, to put a price to your work and ask for that price sometimes. That's, you know, a hurdle that we all need to overcome, valuing ourselves and our work. She talks about a great story about when she worked at a company called Buddy Build in Vancouver and how the company was bought by Apple and what that transition was like. And we talk about her looking at everything through a UI and UX lens and not being able to turn that off. And she loves it. She loves not being able to turn it off. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get right into this one. Claire Tashiro. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Good morning, Claire. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm going to get right to it because it is the quickie. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Um, I went to school at the Art Institute for Graphic Design. I wasn't really considering it as a full-time career, but I ended up falling in love with it. And then I got into UI and UX design, and now I'm a full-stack designer. So I do anything between branding, websites, mobile apps, mm-hmm. software as a service, and now I own a business called Wolf and Pine Creative. All right. So UX and UI, that's the, that's what's closest to your heart there? Yeah. I uh, I don't know why I love it so much, but it's just so satisfying to see a completed app or a completed website. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I'm going to take that even further back to your childhood. And I'm going to get my notepad ready for the counseling session to start. <laughs> what what was your childhood like? And do you feel that you had a creative childhood that led you to this creative career path? Yeah, I think 100% um, my childhood has led me here. Um, my father owned a software company and kind of always told me I'd be good at graphic design. And I kind of just blew it off like, yeah, whatever, dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was always very good at drawing and painting. And as that kind of developed and strengthened, I was doing it more in high school. And then I even had my teacher purchase one of my paintings. And then she was the one that referred me to the Art Institute. And they were the ones that called me. So nice. um, kind of was out of my hands. But being creative my whole life, I kind of ended up where I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. What did the teacher pay for that artwork? Oh, she paid me $30 for the painting, and I thought it was, like, 
big bucks there. It was a painting of Audrey Hepburn and it mm-hmm. was like a breakfast of t- at Tiffany's themed and I had 3D elements to it. So her pearls were actually glued onto her. Wow. And what, so what age was this? When was this done? Oh, I think I was 15, maybe 16. So towards the end of high school. That's great. So my, I've got three kids, as I mentioned, and my middle daughter, she's nine years old. They, they all go to a fine arts elementary school. Oh, that's amazing. And they, they put this art show together at um, the Reach Gallery in Abbotsford here. And then, you know, the parents come in and you have the opportunity to buy the, your, your son or daughter's artwork. And we went around, you know, as proud parents looking at, oh, that's great. And, you know, grandma's buying this one and I'm buying this one. And we go to find my middle daughters and we find out, oh, it's already got a sold tag on it. What the heck? (laughs) And yet one of her teachers loved it so much, they bought it. And my daughter was like confused. She was excited that somebody else bought it, but at the same time sad because we couldn't buy it. (laughs) Oh, I totally feel that. But uh, that's really good. I I see a creative career coming out of that one. <laughs> For sure. And, and, you know, I said to her, I'm like, honey, but th- it's a good thing because, I mean, that means you're a true artist. You sold your work. That's great. And one of the teachers overheard me saying that and was just like so moved that, um, you know, Aww. I was encouraging this creative direction, but she she loved it and she's really good at it. So that's amazing. Not? I feel like I've been talking to, you know, other creatives or just other people in general that when they hear what I do, their first response is, oh, I wanted to do that, but my parents wouldn't let me. Mm-hmm. And over the past couple of years, I realized that not so many people are supported in a creative talent or creative interest. And mm-hmm. honestly, I find that so shocking because it is a very stable career and um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. One thing I've learned from doing these interviews is hearing how you know, there's some parents that that notice something or fully support in a creative direction um, early on, but a lot of parents and families, especially for some of the older guests, you know, they didn't understand it. You know, it wasn't really a talked about career path as much as it is, as it is now. So it's exciting to see that that change in more and more people supporting and encouraging this creative direction. Oh, I couldn't agree more. So I want to go back to when you first started noticing design out in the world. You mentioned your dad owned a software company and you were always encouraged about um, design and creative. But was there a moment where you noticed design in the world and you just made that connection? Um, I think it was shopping (laughs) that really did that to me. Um, There's no one like exact moment that I could pinpoint like this epiphany moment, Mm -hmm. but I as I got older, I noticed the more expensive stores had nicer bags and sometimes they had been embossed or with gold foil. And then I got into a little bit of luxury shopping and that was just I geeked out so hard on the packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think shopping and packaging was the first where I noticed in particular, like where I started to see it stand out more and more to me. Mm-hmm. Instead, whereas my dad, he would just kind of show me what he's doing. And it was kind of just put in front of me. So I don't think I made the right connections with it. Mm-hmm. So now that you're a number of years into this creative career, what's something that you wish you knew when you first started out? <laughs> I feel like this is so normal to say, but, um, Just because you graduated from school and just because you've been paid and you are a professional designer, you still got to like, you know, pay your dues in a way. You know, I'm five years into this career professionally and 
only now I feel like I have even just a little bit more of an advantage than a, like a junior designer. Mm-hmm. And I think especially when you first start being a creative, we all have a bit of an ego. Um, I think we get too caught up into it because, you know, we are proud of our work. And I mm-hmm. think that kind of, I wish I was a little bit more humble at the beginning. And uh, I wish um, I understood how slow it is to build the career. Like it does take a while to get to what you want it to be. You gotta put your time in. That's sort of the the lesson in it, right? Yeah. I mean, you can still like fresh out of school, get a full-time job. But like for me personally, that wasn't quite where I wanted my career to be. And I was in a junior position and I just kind of wish I was more aware of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Dawson from a couple of episodes ago had a saying, you know, you got to hustle and take whatever you can and learn, 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 learn. But at the same time on the side, you can make shit until you know shit. And that was one of his sayings. You can just create and make. Yeah, I've actually been reading a lot more books on design and business and Mm -hmm. so many podcasts and everything. And it's a little shocking some of the advice from these very successful people. Um, I feel like school pushes you in one direction, but Mm -hmm. any successful entrepreneur or designer will tell you the complete opposite. And clearly, I mean, they're the ones being paid to do these large projects. So it's been very interesting to transition that like thought process into a different direction. Mm -hmm. So earlier you had mentioned that you started noticing design in luxury shopping and how the packaging really differentiated from, you know, a cheap product to a really nice product. What do you think has been the most influential design of your life so far? Um, Ironically, nothing related to packaging. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Um, I think the most influential moment for me was when I was... Um, product designer and marketing designer at Buddy Build. Mm -hmm. And during my time there, um, we went through an acquisition um, and were purchased by Apple. Mm -hmm. And that was just a game changer to see the world's wealthiest company come to this tiny little startup in Gastown slash Chinatown. Like our office was really old and the radiators would (laughs) like be really loud in the morning and it was freezing and to go from that to apple and watch all of that it was very surreal and actually just maybe a week or two ago i was thinking about that whole situation and only then it kind of hit me how much of an impact that really was and how important all of that was and Mm -hmm. how special it was that i had that position if that makes sense sort of a good moment of perspective i guess Yeah, the more that I'm like learning to run a business on my own, the more I see the magnitude of these types of things. And so I'd have to say that was the most influential part of design for me, not actually from a design perspective, Mm -hmm. but just on um, a thought process and the way that you work and commit yourself until the project's perfect. And just all of Apple's values were very interesting to see. Really well said. Um, I wanted to ask now, being the UI UX, you know, having that close to your heart, and that's, you know, what makes <laughs> you really smile about the design world. Is there been any sort of UI or UX experience you've had that has just fueled the fire of that for you? Um, 
Yeah, uh, honestly, all UI and UX kind of just does that for me. Mm-hmm. I landed my first UI and UX job as my first design job as well. I was like ha- not even halfway through my first semester when I got or my first year, sorry. So mm-hmm. I was in my second semester with them when I started this position and I knew nothing during the interview. I was like, oh my goodness, I've bombed this. I'm not going to get the job. I got the job on the spot and just learning all the research and the personas and the wireframes and the app maps. It was a lot of fun. And then after that, my job, I was working as the lead iOS designer at a software company in Surrey. Mm -hmm. And so that I think really fueled the fire for me in terms of like my career that gave me a huge project to work with, um, which really added to my portfolio. Mm -hmm. The company was very, very bad. They tanked, they still owe me money, but just the magnitude of the project and the heavy say that I had, um, that's Mm -hmm. what ultimately got me a buddy build. So so do you, this one's sort of going off of the, off the question list a little bit, but do you now look at everything with a UI UX lens? And is that, is that a, is that a curse for you or do you wish you could turn that <laughs> off once in a while? Um, yeah, it's all the time. I can't look at anything, not even a menu when I go out for dinner without <laughs> analyzing it. The waitress will come up to me. And, oh, you guys ready to order? I'm like, oh, no, sorry. I actually haven't even read the menu yet. And they give you this weird look like you've been staring at it for 10 minutes. How do you not know that we have like a kale salad or whatever? It's because it's Um, so disorganized. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But same with UX and UI. I, whenever something doesn't work, I'm like the Evo app, for example, for car Uh sharing. Their app is atrocious. It never (laughs) functions very well. And I just get so frustrated when something doesn't work because the UI UX brain is just running rampant. Like this should have changed or this should have been done. This shouldn't even be a problem Mm -hmm. like that whole thing. So um, I don't really say it's too much of a curse because I mean, I'm always learning from it, Yep. but um, it can get a little annoying to the ones around me. (laughs) You know, and I I would say that it's becoming increasingly more important that companies are looking at UI and UX with a super critical eye because the patience of people in technology is just getting lower and lower and lower. I know that if Wi-Fi isn't connecting for me within three and a half seconds, I'm out. Forget it. I'm done. (laughs) They actually did a study that millennials have a shorter attention span than goldfish now. Oh, my gosh. Not surprising. Yeah. Not surprising at all, but a little horrifying. (laughs) Um, But that also shows you how fast you really need to get the right message across. You have like two seconds. Mm -hmm. And those projects are, you know, five, six figures spent. And you have two seconds to make or break it. So it's a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make a prediction right here, right now, that in the next few years, people are going to start moving away from it, going back more analog, more sketching, more drawing, more notebooks, more outside walks and less technology. Interesting. Yeah, I've been reading just, like I said, just so much of um, business and running a business. And I think you're right in that sense. Um, Most people actually nowadays are still not really doing too much of the design um, as a heavy importance. That is just kind of comes last. Mm -hmm. Um, 
any really good company will always focus on the UX first, as well as the strategy behind it and the research behind all of that. Mm -hmm. They want to make sure they have a strong positioning statement and, you know, everything is clear from the the get-go. So when it comes to implementing design, that it should work pretty much no matter what, if you've done your research correctly. So I definitely agree that, you know, we're throwing all the fancy gadgets out the window. Well, I'm allowed to be right once or twice a year. So um, I want to ask you now about a designer or a brand that you look up to or closely follow. And what is it about them that you like? Um, I have a list of a few people. Um, I really like Peter McKinnon. He's mm-hmm. a videographer on YouTube who does basic um, video and Photoshop tutorials. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love his cinematic vlog style. Um, honestly, I really want to get into that. Did you see his posting about the SwitchPod? SwitchPod. No, yeah. I haven't. So he partnered with um, another guy that I follow, Pat Flynn. Um, but they created a physical product called a SwitchPod. And it's basically an amazing, um, what's the right term here? Vlogging tool where you can hold your camera out at the perfect angle. It's ergonomically great. It's like a beautiful product design. And I backed them on Kickstarter. So in the next few oh, weeks, no I should be getting the product. That's yeah, SwitchPod. Awesome. Definitely check it out. Yeah, so I don't always have time to watch all the videos, but mm-hmm. I do for the most part. Um, the latest one I just watched uh, was he actually did a really cool partnership kind of vlog, like a collab with this um, leather maker. And his this leather maker started making really sim- cinematic videos, but in ASMR. And it was very interesting to watch and like just hear the sounds of like brushing the leather and stuff. And he also just did a video on um, an anamorphic lens for your drone. And that was just mind-blowing. Like, he's just living his best life on, mm-hmm. like, ski and drones and cinematic footage. Like, how amazing. So that's what I need um, to be living. Right? Other designers or people that I, like, look up to is Ron Siegel. Uh, he's based in Tel Aviv. I really, really like um, – he's – Basically, like a, he makes six figures as a freelancer and then also runs two businesses. Wow. So that's kind of the dream there. Um, I also love AJ and Smart for UX design and UX tips. Um, Will Patterson for hand lettering. And then in the personal world, my friend Desiree, I really like her style. She's really fun to just always check out what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Honestly, everyone who worked at Buddy Build, like they're just such amazing talents um, and they're so smart and so enjoyable to talk to when it comes to those things. So um, that's kind of my little list. Great shout outs. <laughs> so the next couple of questions I have are sort of take us down to some of the challenges of your career so far and some of the lessons that you pulled from them. Um but I promise at the end, I've got some, some nice happy <laughs> questions that we finish with. No worries. Um, what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Um, I had an answer to this earlier and I don't know why it's not popping up in my head right away. Um, but one of the most challenging times, oh, there it is. It came back. Um, <laughs> one of the most challenging uh, times in my career was um, working at a recent tech startup in mm-hmm. Vancouver. Um, 
it was really difficult to do my job because they had hired me on and uh, I was the only designer. So they really needed the help mm-hmm. and it was a great opportunity for me to have like a heavy say in it um, where the design is going to go. And my um, immediate boss always questioned my work and then would go behind my back and change it. And I'm totally fine with people changing the appearance of things like design is definitely a preference, Mm -hmm. but there were certain aspects that he was changing that just really were not going to work psychologically. Like there is a reason for hierarchy. There's a reason for color choices um, and layout, like all of that kind of stuff. And I would explain to him why I was doing what I was doing and why everything was there. And he would still go in and change it. And that was really difficult because I didn't feel trusted. Um, I was working really hard to try to um, like make a good product and um, it just kept changing. So I just felt like the effort was never getting there and it was very last minute and it just wasn't my personal style of working. Mm-hmm. Um, so how I overcame it was I obviously I did talk to him straight up about it and um it honestly didn't really get anywhere. So we've parted ways and I'm much happier with that decision. Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't think it's a good fit or that they were necessarily ready to let go of the reins and that's okay. It's hard. It's very hard to let go. Mm -hmm. Interesting perspective. So what do you think is sort of the core lesson out of that, that somebody could, could learn from? Um, don't beat yourself up just because your boss is not happy with your work or anything like that like I said, design is a preference Mm -hmm. and don't be afraid to stand up for yourself and don't be afraid to notice when it's not working. Like Mm -hmm. don't feel you have to stay. That's what I really, I feel like a lot of people get stuck in unhappy jobs um, because the benefits are really good. Mm -hmm. um, The work they're doing, they really enjoy. They love their coworkers, but you know, there's always that one boss or one situation that just makes everything else miserable. And it's, you know, you can find all that stuff elsewhere, or you can even give it to yourself. So Mm. don't stay in a situation that ultimately is going to, um, you know, damage your confidence to the point where it's going to damage your career. Mm -hmm. You know, and when you were talking about that, the one thing that I thought that would be, you know, that came to mind, that would be a really helpful thing to get through that and understand that if you are taking it personally, you know, somebody to talk you back from that is, is the importance of mentors and having a mentor and guide you through some of those, you know, early difficulties. Oh, of course. I, I've been very lucky to have kind of, um, what's the word? unofficial mentors Mm -hmm. and I would be not even close to where I am today without that. So yeah, always feel free to go up to somebody, um, you know, who's a little bit more seasoned than you and just explain your situation and Mm -hmm. ask for how can I, uh, resolve this that's best for the product or the company as well as myself. You know, I feel like a lot of people are like they sacrifice themselves for the product or the business, or they just toss the product or the business aside just to focus on taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but mentors are the best because they've been through it all as well. <laughs> there you go. Shout out to mentors. So take us then to a specific design or a project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. What was that like? And how did that feel? Take us to that story. 
Oh, there's a few. Um, I'm not going to talk about the most recent one. Mm -hmm. Um, but the first project that I did that didn't go well, um, obviously stands out to me. Um, I was hired by a small family run business to design them a logo. Mm -hmm. I was two months out of school at this point and looking for work and I had a bit of experience under my belt. So I was also taking on some freelance projects mm -hmm. and I charged uh, $500 for the logo, which was, um, I felt like it was a lot at the time, but you know, looking back, I'm like, Oh, I can't believe I charged 500 <laughs> for a logo, but they were also a smaller company as well. So it was kind of worth it for the value and everything. Um, but I, in the email, I told them everything that they would get and, um, we were trying to schedule a phone interview and it just w really wasn't working out in our schedules, mm -hmm. which was rather difficult. Uh, one time when I was just on my way to a doctor's appointment, I get a call from them and they basically treated it like a meeting. They didn't ask if it was a, an okay time to talk or anything. They just bombarded me or with just information. Gonna conference you in. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't even have a pen and paper. Like I have like four minutes till my appointment. So I'm like mm -hmm. trying to like type notes while I was on the phone. And then right then and there, they sent me the deposit. And I was like, okay, I guess this is uh, starting now. Mm -hmm. So I had done um, my first round of directions for them, and they weren't happy. And they did send me photos of what they were liking and other things that they wanted to go down the path like. And it was just so minimal and so simple. And so obviously, that was what I was giving them. And then they weren't happy with that. So three rounds of this, like I gave them three full rounds of different directions. So I think they got a total of like 18 different logos to choose from. Mm -hmm. um, we met in person. We were working on it after they did five additional re revisions to the three that I gave them. Mm -hmm. They're like, done. This is perfect. We're so happy with it. How can we have the files? So... I uh, sent them the invoice and I said, once you pay this, the files are yours. And they didn't communicate for me from that July until November. But in October, I had to send um, uh, a demand letter from a lawyer saying, you need to pay me because I was trying to contact them and they weren't mm -hmm. answering me. Um, then I finally heard from them a month after that. And they kind of, um, they're like, oh, we need to meet with you. Um, but we need you to meet us in Abbotsford at 6 p.m. And I was living in Kitsilano, so that was way too far of a commute during rush hour. It's literally mm -hmm. going to be over two hours. So yes. I declined, and I just said, I don't think it's necessary. You said you like the work. This is what you owe me. I don't feel the need to drive over two hours just to get a coffee with you. Mm -hmm. um, and I tried really hard to be accommodating. I was asking them why they weren't like communicating with me and what was it that we could do? Like I could do a payment plan if they wanted to start over, I'd be happy to do that. But they just ignored me. But uh, in August, I found them using my logo and they had posted in the September that they had ignored me, that their branding was done and posted it. So even before I sent the demand letter, even before they met with me, they were using my, my work. So I tried very nicely to talk to them and they blocked my phone number. So oh, no. I, um, I'm currently taking them to court. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Cause so, their bill did add up quite a bit. They were getting yeah. a lot of revisions. 
So what do you think is the sort of lesson you can pull from that? I mean, there's so many, but what, what, what is the one that you took and, you know, maybe even added some details into your, you know, fine print on your contract? Oh yeah. Conditions? Um, there's, I've learned a lot from that. I learned to include an interest rate in mm-hmm. my contracts. Um, I learned to always put a contract in front of somebody, whether you know them or not, mm-hmm. because uh, we had mutual friends as they they went to the church and uh, private school that I went to growing mm-hmm. up. So, you know, I felt like they were like really good people because th- they were referred by other people in that community. Um, so I just didn't feel it was necessary to give a contract. Uh, I recommend putting a contract in front of anyone. I don't even care if it's your grandma. And if they get all weird about it, then that's not somebody you want to work with. No. Um, and I learned that you can't please everyone and notice when no matter what you do is not going to be working. Like stop trying to dig this hole just to make them happy because it's not going to work. So, you know, cut your losses for yourself as soon as you can. Oh, well said, well said. So I want to turn this around now and I want to ask you about the project that you've been a part of that you're the most proud of one that makes your heart sing or the biggest design feather in your cap. Um, again, I just keep going back to buddy build. Mm -hmm. Um, you know that, like I was telling you earlier, I didn't realize the magnitude of where I was in the, in the world in, I don't want to sound dramatic, but like in history and in like the way that we use technology, like I didn't, quite understand the magnitude of where I actually was in that moment in time. Mm -hmm. And, um, buddy build is just, it was a very, very special company. I mean, still is there, but through Apple and, um, the people were really, really good. And the product was so cool. It was literally like world changing that product. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool to be a part of that. I still get asked people who've checked my LinkedIn. They're like, Oh, you were at buddy build. That acquisition (laughs) was huge. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And, um, honestly, I, I love all of my projects. I don't really think I could pick just a favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, I did some branding for a local apparel company that's really cool because they have ambassadors all over the world. So seeing people literally all over the world wearing clothing with my logo on it, that's cool. That's also really special too. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, pretty much anything with a, a bit of a magnitude behind it, like, you know, not just business cards or a logo for like a local, um, mom and pop shop, but, mm-hmm. you know, something a bit bigger. Um, it's always really exciting. Sweet. Those are two great ones. Yeah, it's a little variety. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what is one design product, tool, website, or community that you just can't live without? Oh, okay. Community-wise, 100% YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found myself in quite the little niche of people. Um, Ron Siegel's YouTube Flux, uh, The Future with Chris Doe. Um, those are two really big ones that um, my career would be not even close to where it is without that. Mm-hmm. Um, my iPad and Apple pencil are really great too. Yep. And, um, their Webflow is one that has changed my life and illustrator is my go-to for everything. So I know it's a handful, but no, I, that's there's good. just 
so much I couldn't live without. And I just feel like the more that you invest in your products, whether it's books or software or even like account management, like FreshBooks, mm -hmm. the more you invest into those kinds of things, the easier your job is to scale and grow. And that snowball cycle just turns into a boulder. It just gets so big so fast mm -hmm. and it's really exciting. That's cool. So now's the time of the show for the ask it forward question, Claire. Okay. Um, my previous guest was Jonathan Strebley. And if you have been in the Vancouver design scene for any amount of time, you're likely to know who this gentleman is. He is a massive advocate for design on an international stage. So he wanted to ask my next guest being you, and he didn't know who it would be. I feel so honored, really. <laughs> this is a I'm heavy like, hitter, oh my, Claire. yeah, I'm, I'm sweating. The pressure's on. <laughs> That's right. This better be legit. He will be listening. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> what is stopping you from being twice as good as you are right now? Oh, okay. I definitely have an answer to this because it's something that I actually go see my therapist for weekly. <laughs> I don't value myself, and. Mm -hmm. Not as in, I don't think I'm a good person. I just am scared to ask for what I am capable of doing. So yes. something that sh I should charge $10,000 for, I get so nervous just trying to ask for 1000 And that mm -hmm. was actually a situation I was in, in back in March. I was trying to price a project and I had no clue where to start because it was a very heavy marketing project. And mm -hmm. that's something I've never spearheaded completely alone, mm -hmm. but I was down for the ch challenge of it. Um, and I had no clue numbers wise what to do. So I uh, talked to my friend who was in the same line of work doing marketing as well. And she told me to charge $8,000 mm -hmm. and my jaw hit the floor. <laughs> I was like, I was scared to say a thousand and she was like, no. So I kind of met in the middle and asked for six and um, the project ended up growing and they kept adding in more and more because they were so impressed with it anyways. But that's my biggest problem. And I think that's what's really stopping me from taking on, say, like a, a six figure project on my own. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in March, I was terrified to charge a thousand dollars and now charging five figures is easy for me. So I think that's just what's really holding me back. It's still I'm still. Still not quite fully over it. <laughs> yeah, value, valuing your yourself and your work is a huge challenge for sure. Yeah, and you, I think the hardest part about it is that, or at least for me, is I guess I know the value of myself and my work, but I'm afraid that somebody else won't, and I mm -hmm. feel like I have to justify myself, mm. and then I talk myself down, if that makes sense. Yep, it does. Great answer, Claire. All right. Now, I'm not going to tell you who the next guest is, oh, no but worries. you have an opportunity to ask them any question. What would you like to ask them? First of all, I just love this part of <laughs> the, the interview. I think this is so cool. Um, what is one talent or creative skill that you wish you had that was completely unrelated to your career? Uh, for me, I wish I could do video editing and animations really well. Mm -hmm. So. Um, like if I could be a drone cinematographer, I think that is just so cool, but, yeah. um, you can't do it all, all at the same time, you know, yeah. that's on the back burner <laughs> stages. That's a great yeah. question, Claire. I will ask that of the next guest. 
Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Perfect. Well, you made it to the end of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. That was great chatting with you. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really appreciate it. And if you want to hear the answer to that question, what is one talent or skill you wish you had that was not related to your current creative career? If you want to hear the answer to that question from my next guest, you'll have to tune in tomorrow morning because you know I'll be back. See you tomorrow.